Thank you, John and Trudy, for leading us in those songs. Uh, it's a, really a joy for me to get to uh, welcome our speaker for tonight and tomorrow morning, and also on Sunday, uh, Pastor John LaPron from Eastridge Baptist Church in Kent, Washington. I met John about 10 years ago. He was looking to hire an associate pastor, and I was looking to become an associate pastor, and so it worked out. Um, and that meeting shaped my life profoundly, uh, and I'm so happy that he's here and I get to share um, this man with you in a sense because if I think over the people in my life who have shaped me, uh, there's, there's really no one else who has shaped me more for ministry than John, and so I want you to hear from him. And we have been through, um, just as a, as a church, as a people, as a nation, uh, hard year, obviously, this past year, and there really has been a lot of strife and conflict between Christians and obviously non-Christians as well, and so we take up this topic at this conference of loving one another, and the reason we're doing that is not just because of what's gone on in the world, but because uh, John saw at uh, the need for believers in his church to hear this message that we need to be loving one another, so for the past Six months or so since the beginning of 2021, he's been leading his church through a series on loving one another. And so I asked him to come and share some of those messages with us. And I think that John is equipped to share these messages with us for a variety of reasons. One, because he has an unflinching commitment to Scripture. I got to see that up close and personal. He is always committed to God's Word, to a proper interpretation and application of it, and so we know that he's going to draw his message from God's Word. Second reason I think he's equipped to give these messages is because it says in Scripture that love never ends. That means that love should be faithful, and I got to see John for a decade serve faithfully shepherding the flock of Eastridge Baptist Church takes a lot of work to do that, and he did it faithfully, loving the Lord's people there unflinchingly. And then third reason is because uh, love believes all things. It says that in 1 Corinthians 13, and I got to see that very up close and personal as John took a almost fatherly interest in my own life and ministry. And as I said, he shaped me profoundly, and that didn't come easy it took with lots of hours poured into my life, and so I got to see his love applied in my own life. And so I hope that you all will give your full attention to John tonight and tomorrow and Sunday as he speaks to us about loving one another. Would you please welcome John LaPron as he comes to speak to us? Thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's... I was waiting to see who was going to come up after that introduction, so <laughs> I thought there maybe was another John. In fact, he scared me earlier when he said John was going to come up and lead worship, and I went, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and be back here and to see some new faces and to see some former faces. Uh, we're glad to see you guys, and it's been a, a just a privilege. We just feel that camaraderie, not a, just because of Andy and Priscilla, but um, mainly because of Victor and Emmett. Um, <laughs> we feel that camaraderie with you folks, and uh, we're just uh, pro- uh, pleased to see what God is doing here at West Sand Lake, and, and uh, just thrilled beyond belief to have just even a small part of that. As Andy said, we you know we we struggled our church with. Uh, the COVID issue, the pandemic issue, like everybody else was, and and we lost people from our church throughout the year uh, for a variety of reasons, and we just, you know, we were, like every other pastor in the country, we were trying to do the best we could uh, with imperfect information, with the information that we had, and uh, we were trying to care for the not only the souls of our people, but their health as well, and 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 we were doing the best, and we were, you know, we had a target on our chest and a target on our back, and it didn't seem to matter wherever we moved. We were getting shot from one side or the other, and and uh, I we just try to keep reaching out to our people, saying, "Listen, folks, not making excuses. Hey, we're trying to do the best we can, but 
are we acting like believers here? And it, I, I sat with my staff and I said, we need, to, we need to preach on love. And we mapped out, I had 52 weeks of messages on 52 different passages from the Bible on love, and I could have done it for another two years. We, we only did 26 or 27 weeks, as it turns out, so half the year uh, of messages on love every Sunday. And don't worry, I'm only going to do half of those in the next three days, so you don't need to worry about that. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, a very important passage uh, in Scripture, obviously. Uh, I don't know what passage isn't important. I hear preachers say that's a very important passage. Like, this passage isn't that important, but this one really is. Um, and it's, it is the, the last opportunity that Jesus has to talk to his disciples before going to the cross. Uh, in this evening that begins uh, in chapter 13 and goes all the way through chapter 17 uh, in this one event as Jesus is pouring into his disciples, knowing that just in a few hours he's going to be arrested and, and then the disciples are going to scatter and he will... Um, go to trial, and then go to the cross. So before he goes to the cross, he wants to pour information into his disciples. From the Vietnam War on to this day, there have been 173 Medal of Honor recipients. Since Vietnam, 173 Medal of Honor recipients. Of those 173, 67 men have been awarded the Medal of Honor for throwing themselves on a grenade and absorbing the impact with their body in order to spare their fellow soldiers. 67 men. I did, when I did the research on this, I was amazed that it was that many. I had this idea for this illustration. I thought maybe there'd be five or ten. 67 men sacrificed their lives, throwing themselves on a grenade to, to spare their fellow soldiers. You and I will probably never be called upon to sacrifice ourselves in that same way. We will probably never be, be called upon to throw ourselves on a grenade or lay down our life literally for someone else. We are typically not called upon to lay down our lives as an act of heroism or even an act of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not called to lay down our lives in order to receive a medal of honor. We are to love one another and lay down our lives in obedience to Jesus Christ. Our relationship to Him is to be the guiding principle for every relationship that we have with one another. Every true church around the world is unique. I've had the privilege of being in dozens of churches around the world, and they're all unique from their music to their style of worship to its personality as a church to its people to its languages. I've been in a number of churches. I have no idea what they're singing but they're excited about it, and that makes me excited. And every once in a while, you hear the tune, and you recognize the tune, but the language is different. You're trying to figure it out. What is that tune? Oh, it's Amazing Grace, and you're trying to sing along with it, and it doesn't work, but you're just, it's just exciting. But the one thing that should be the same in every church around the world, every true church around the world, is the way we love one another. We don't have to sing the same songs. We don't have to have the same uh, style of worship. We don't have to have the same um, outfits when we preach. We don't have to have, none of that has to be the same. But the way we love one another better be the same. That's the, that's the consistency of the Christian faith. Alexander Strzok was right when he said this, quote, the thing that should be of the utmost concern to every believer and every Christian is this. Does a Christ-like spirit of love permeate the atmosphere of our church? End quote. I've passed, I've been in the ministry for 30-something years now. 
39 years I've been in ministry, and in those years, I have seen people leave churches for a number of reasons. I've, I've, I've watched people walk into a church, look around, and then walk back out. I, I was pastoring a small church in Palm Springs, California for uh, some years, and uh, our, the road was right in front of our door. There was a, the street to our driveway, uh, the sidewalk, and then the doors. And I happened to be standing by the doors before the service, and, the, and I saw a car pull up and with a mom and dad and 3.2 kids, whatever was in there. And dad gets out, the car's still running, mom's sitting in the car, the kids are in the car, and he walks right past me into the church, and he looks around, and he says, yeah, we can come here. I went, good. Said, yeah, we stopped at the church down the road. As soon as I walked in there, I knew we couldn't go to that church. You know what I saw, don't you? Sasquatch? Drums. What? Ooh, he's going to hate this. We had canned music. So <laughs> there was drums in the canned music, so uh, we never saw them again. Um, but we've seen Christians who, or people who claim to be Christians at least, Look into a church and say, it doesn't have what I want. It doesn't fit my desire. It's not meeting my niche need. And that's how they base what is a good church and what isn't a good church. What version of the Bible do they use? What their music style is? What color of the carpet they have? What, do they have pews? Do they have chairs? What is it? And that's, those things may enhance your worship, or make it easier for you on one way or the other. But the most important thing that you and I need to be looking for in any church is do the people love one another and do they love God? Because if that's missing, all the other bells and whistles are irrelevant. If you have the most comfortable chairs in here, and I hope by next year you do, um, and you have air conditioning, and I hope by next year you do, uh, if you had all of those things, those will enhance and it'll make it more comfortable in here. But if you don't love one another and love God, and if that's not evident, all those other things are a waste of time and money. I'm convinced that most Christians claim to practice Christ-like love. In fact, if you went and polled most Christians and asked them, do you crack practice Christ-like love, I can almost guarantee you the overwhelming majority would say, yes, I do. And they would say that meaning, believing that it's true, because they can think of certain people that they show Christ-like love to. But then if we examined their lives and say, well, what about that guy? Well, you, you don't believe what that guy said to me. You know, that guy, was, that guy was really mean to me one day. Well, the, you know, a, a, just a couple of months ago, he was walking by and I said hi, and he didn't say a word to me. I mean, he had his back turned to me the entire time. Well, do you show Christian love to him? Well, well he doesn't show Christian love to me. I guess you should go to Luke chapter 6 and white out the section in your Bible. And verses 27 and 30 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him to the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks you, and everyone who takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat the others the way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. 
If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Which is what we all were. And women... There should be a distinct difference in the way a Christian lives from the way the rest of the world lives. The the rest of the world has had an almost unconscious influence on the church where we become more like the world and less like Christ. We love those who love us, and we despise those who despise us. But that's not what Christ tells us to do. Our our passage in John chapter 15 is bracketed by the command to love. Look at verse 12, which is where we'll start, where he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And verse 17, which will end our passage, this is... This I command you that you love one another. The section that we're going to look at is bracketed by those two commands. He starts with a command to love and he ends with a command to love. Three requirements to love like Jesus will be seen in this passage. The first is to love others like Jesus requires sacrifice. To love others like Jesus requires sacrifice. There is no loving one another with Christ-like love without sacrifice. Some people require more sacrifices and some require less, but it all requires sacrifice. Look at verse 12 again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That is such a familiar statement to most Christians. If you spent any time at all in church, if you've grown up in church, if you spent years in church, you've heard that statement before, and it becomes so familiar to us that it loses its impact. It's kind of like seeing the speed limit sign. You've seen it so many times that when you pass it, you don't even bother to look down to see how much over the speed limit you're going. We don't even think about it anymore. I was, you know, we had VBS here the last three days, and and last night or the night before, I'm teaching, it might have been Wednesday, I don't remember, they're all blurred now. We're teaching, and I hear this siren go off, and I stop, and the rest of you are going, why are you stopping? Well, there's a siren going off. If that happens in Seattle, it means a nuclear war is coming or a tsunami or the volcano or something. Oh, this is normal for you. So you don't even, it doesn't even dawn on you. You just go about your business. That's what this verse is kind of like for a lot of Christians. We've seen it. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, familiar with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We love one another the way I love you. To love one another the way Jesus loves us is a tall order. Look up into verse 9. Now, I want you to notice, some of you might notice this, Jesus is speaking in red here. (laughs) Seeing if you're listening. Verse 9. Just, listen, this is incredible. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Now, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another the way I have loved you. Jesus just previously said, I love you the way God the Father loves me. So in verse 12, Jesus is saying to you and me, you love one another like God loves. Not like man loves. Not like your mom and dad loves. Not like grandma loves. You love like God loves. That's a massive order, isn't it? That is a tall order. How does God love? Well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It requires sacrifice. To love the way Jesus tells us to love, to love like Jesus requires sacrifice. We must give. It is a key element of love for God. For that reason, the after giving the command to love one another, Jesus speaks of sacrifice. Look at verse 13 in our text. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Having just given the command, you love one another the way that I love you, let me tell you what the greatest form of love is, that's to give yourself for someone else. Which is exactly what Jesus is going to do in the next few hours. He's going to give himself. He's going to leave this room. He's going to go to the garden. He's going to go off and pray. His disciples are going to fall asleep. He's going to ask them to pray with him on a few occasions. They're going to keep falling asleep. And the third time they finally wake up, it's too late. The soldiers are there. They come and arrest Jesus and everybody, but John the disciple run away and hide. And Jesus goes to the cross the next day. So when Jesus told us to love like he loves, he's speaking of sacrifice. Now in case somebody says, well, this is is just merely a foreshadow of what Jesus is going to do. It is true that it is certainly a foreshadow of what Jesus is going to do. But 1 John 3.16 We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now listen, you and I, we know we cannot lay down our lives for one another the way that Jesus did, as an, an atoning death. Our deaths will not atone for anyone. We can't, our death is not would not be sacrificial for anyone's salvation. It would not atone for anyone. It won't even atone for ourselves. So Jesus is not saying here, you give yourself as, a, as an atoning sacrifice, that you die a vicarious death for others. So what does it mean then to lay down your life for one another? Well, if it can't mean laying down our life for one another in a, an atoning way, what must it say? Well, Jesus is in here talking about stepping in front of a bullet. He's not talking about throwing yourself on a grenade. Now that may, in some, some sense for somebody, take place, but the situation would have to be just right, and you can only do it, as far as I know, one time. You can't do that multiple times. So it would be a command that you could only fulfill once, and then in only certain circumstances. So it must mean something other than physically dying for somebody. Well, what it means to lay down your life for one another is, means, is to deny yourself, to deny ourselves. We'll be back in John 15 in a moment, but turn back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, because this will give us a, a strong understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 And he was saying to them, that's Jesus to the disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. In verse 23, there are three what we call imperatives, or three commands. The first is, he must deny himself. Deny, the word that's used here to deny ourselves is the very same word that was used of Peter when he denied Jesus. When Jesus was trying to get a glimpse of what was going on at the trial before Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and Jesus, or Peter's kind of in the outskirts there, and somebody recognizes him, Peter denies knowing Jesus. I don't know who he is. I've never seen that man before. That's the word that is used here that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 9. 
You deny yourself. It's not I look in the mirror and go, I don't, I don't know who that is. I do that all the time now. The older I get, I look in the, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. Or I look in the mirror and say, how did my dad get in the mirror? It's not that funny. Don't laugh at that. To deny ourselves has this idea of, of disowning. In fact, that's the way the words translated in Acts chapter 3, in verses 13 and 14. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. Peter preaching to the Jews, saying, you disowned the Messiah. That's the word. We are to deny ourselves. We are to disown ourselves. We are to consider everyone else to be more important than ourselves. And the context of Luke chapter 9 is to yield up your entire life to the will of Christ. To deny your right to choose the direction and the priorities that you want to have and allow Christ to determine the direction and the priorities that you live by. Deny self-authority. To deny self-determination. And to submit to Christ. Maybe it's just the Western world. Maybe it's man in general. But we want to determine how we live our life and what we do. We want to determine everything that we can about our life. We want to feel like we're in control. But Jesus says, no, you submit to me. You don't, you don't practice self-determination. You practice Savior determination. You let Him lead and guide your life. The decisions that you make, the people you love, how you love them are determined by Christ. The second imperative there in Luke chapter 9 is take up His cross daily. Now again, for Christianity, and, and we, we use the cross so frequently and rightly, we should, that it has lost its impact on the human beings when we read this verse because we use the cross as jewelry, as decorations in our buildings, on, put them on mountains overlooking our hills, we put them near hospitals, we put them in other places, and it's a very common sight, and, the, and usually they're, uh, they're beautiful. But when Jesus says this, At the time he says this to the people, you take up your cross daily and follow me, the cross was not a piece of jewelry. It was not a decoration. No one would put a cross on the wall in their house because it was a brutal instrument of death and torture. It was designed to kill people as brutally and as slowly as possible with as much humiliation as they could. Crucifixions often took place on the, in the intersections of busy streets just outside of town where many people would go by so they could curse at the person that's being crucified. And it also served as a constant reminder to the general population, here's what happens if you break the law. The large upright pieces would stay in the ground. The criminal would carry the patabulum, the cross piece, through town on his way to the crucifixion, which is adding insult to injury. It's like bringing the rope to your own hanging. And they go there and they would be crucified in those public places. And if you ever walked by those, even when a crucifixion wasn't taking place, you could see the blood-stained ground. You could smell the stench of death in the air. It was a constant reminder. And it was so brutal that no Roman citizen was allowed to be crucified. The Romans called it the slave's punishment. The Roman... Statesman Cicero wrote, quote, Let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the body of the Roman citizen, but even our thoughts, end quote. First century historian Josephus called crucifixion, quote, the most wretched of deaths, end quote. If 
to hang a cross around our neck today, if you were to go back before the crucifixion of Christ with a cross around your neck, it would be appalling to people. It would, it would be tantamount to today wearing a, a necklace that is a, a mock-up of a concentration camp oven. That's how brutal it was. And Jesus said, you take up your cross daily. You be prepared to sacrifice yourself every day. When he said, take up your cross, he was not using hyperbole. He was not exaggerating to make his point. He was not just using shocking speech, though it would have been shocking to his hearers. He was saying, to follow me requires sacrifice. And it requires self-sacrifice to follow me. It requires self-denial. It requires a daily dying to self-determination. The third imperative there in Luke chapter 9, in verse 24, is follow me. Follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's a prerequisite to following Christ is self-denial. There's so many Christians who claim to follow Christ, but they don't even know where Christ is leading. Because they're not really following Christ. The way they live their life is, all right, Christ, follow me. And if I get myself in a mess, you get ahead and clean it up. And then fall in behind me again. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked Jesus about being a disciple, Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And Jesus is not saying that the way to be a disciple is through a vow of poverty, but self-denial. Rich man, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor because you're trusting in your own abilities and your own wealth and everything that you have going for you and you're not trusting in me, you're not following me. Man walks away sad because he's extremely rich. He had to choose wealth or Christ. Not that wealth is wrong. It's what you choose to serve is what you're following. Jesus knew the young man's heart and that the wealth would win. Many Christians say they follow Christ, but they live their life as if Christ is following them. They pray, thy kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Following Christ is to let him lead. It's to walk how he walks. Obey his commands. To follow Christ is to love like he loves. And how does he love? Sacrifice. Laying down his life. Laying down your life requires you deny yourself and take up your cross. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if I follow Christ, it means everything that I desire for myself, everything that I want gets nailed to the cross. If Jesus should let me have those things, great. But I follow him. To lay down your life for others is to slay selfish motives and desires that keep you from considering others to be more important than yourself. It's a putting to death the desire for self-exaltation and even putting to death the desire for self-preservation. To lay down your life for others is to be more concerned with their walk with Christ than with your own peace and safety and comfort. Lay down your life for others is to serve them as you serve the Lord. Back to John 15. So to love others like Jesus requires sacrifice. Second, to love others like Jesus requires obedience. John chapter 15, looking at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So first is, you're my friends if you do what I command you. So obedience is one of the characteristics of a friend of Christ. You can't get away from the need to obey. I don't care what you do. You read the New Testament, you can't get away from it. There is no escape. It's true of that we are saved by grace. It's true that grace uh, comes to us through faith. That's all true. It's true that we remain saved at all times by that grace. It's not by works. We are not under the law, but under grace. It's true that no one has ever been saved by keeping the law. But that doesn't mean that we don't have commands given to us that God expects us to obey. Clearly, He does. In fact, we see them throughout this night, this conversation. I told you this goes from chapter 13 to 17. Go back to Luke, or John chapter 13. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Chapter 15 Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 12, we read, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 14, we just read, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 17, this I command you that you love one another. I mean, you say something twice, it's for emphasis. You say it three times, it's for emphasis. You say it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, you're speaking to a teenager. <laughs> we are to love one another. It is clear, is it not? First John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. By this we know that you have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. First John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that the love of... I'm sorry. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. We could go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians 7 and Matthew chapter 5, and we would see the same commands over and over and over again. Now, if you're one of those people that believe that Christians are not bound by the commands of Scripture because we live under the law, or we live under grace and not the law, I guess you should tear those pages out of your Bible. In fact, I dare say you probably would end up tearing every page out of your Bible. Once again, the obedience to the commands is not what saves us. It's not what keeps us saved, but it is certainly evidence that we are saved. It's what we do because we love Christ. Verse 15 in our text, John 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The difference between one who is a slave and one who is a friend is, is disclosure. He says, I don't, you're not a slave, you're a friend because I'm, because I'm telling you everything that's going on. Slaves are, just do what they're told without explanation. Slave doesn't say, now why should I do that? You just, you know, go mow the lawn. Would you mind giving me some reasons why? Because you're a slave and I told you to mow the lawn. Slave doesn't have a right to know. Jesus tells his friends what he's doing. It's a privileged position. We get to know the person. We get to know the reason, the purposes for what he is revealing. 
Now, being, here's an important note. Being a friend of Jesus does not negate the fact that we are also still his slaves. He is still our Lord. He's still our master. We're still his slaves. Jesus did not free the Christian from our slavery to righteousness. He freed us from slavery to sin. He changed, we changed ownership. We were owned by the devil. Now we're owned by Christ. To illustrate that, a, a private may be friends with the general, but that friendship doesn't bypass the chain of command. The private still has to salute the general. The idea of Christ being Christ's slave continues throughout the rest of the New Testament. To love one another requires sacrifice, and to love others like Jesus requires obedience. Third, to love others like Jesus requires action. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We are to participate in God's plan, which is to bear fruit that sticks around, fruit that remains. And he chose us before the foundation of the world. This is seen in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We don't just sit back and observe Christianity and see what's going to happen. God intends for every single believer to be an active player on the team. And James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, If the brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? <coughs> We may have genuine concern for somebody. We may have genuine sympathy for someone. But if we don't put our faith into action, it's worthless. It's dead. I hear it a lot. Probably you hear it. Maybe you're guilty of it. I know I am. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Hey, would you pray for me? I'm going in to, for surgery next week. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then life happens. We walk away from that conversation. We instantly get into another conversation. And we don't even think about it. I try to make it a habit now when somebody says, Hey, pastor, would you pray for me? Here's what's happened. I say, yeah, let's do that right now. And I put my hand on their shoulder and we start praying right there. Because I know me. I tell people in my church, don't tell me something that you want me to remember next, tomorrow on Sunday before I preach. Because I won't remember. So, Pastor, can I meet with you this week? Send me an email or call me. Don't, don't ask me now because I won't remember. Part of that's because there's a lot going on in my church and I've got a lot of people. The other part of it is I'm old. It even happened to Andy today. I told him it was going to happen to him. And it, and it happened within the day. So he can't stone me. James chapter 2, verse 20 says, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? When real saving faith is confronted by genuine need of a brother or sister in Christ, faith responds. Remember in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning of the church when so many people had, had uh, been in, uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and so many people were saved after the preaching of God's word. Thousands of people being saved and people were staying in Jerusalem though they lived in other parts of the country. They were staying in Jerusalem but they were running out of money. So what did the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem start doing? They started selling property off and using the money to support those other Christians. 
Keep your fingers there in John chapter 15. We'll be right back and go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is speaking about the judgment at the end that we call the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 33. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also turn to those on his left. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will say, also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked and, or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Notice that the final judgment, one of the criteria is, did you live out the Christian faith or not? Was there evidence that you were a believer? Notice it wasn't, enter into the joy of the Lord because your church membership was valid. Because you were baptized by immersion. Because you were using the correct version of the Bible, which is the New American Standard. And if you were in my class, you know I was. The criteria is, did you live out your faith? Was it evident that you loved people? Or were you just concerned about yourself? Let's be honest, it's hard to love people, isn't it? Some people it's easy to love. There are some people that are hard to love. Some people, I'm convinced, intentionally make it difficult to love them. It's certainly hard to love people like Christ loved people. To love people with Christ-like love is hard. And in our flesh, we cannot do it. There is no way in the world. It's for that reason, back in John 15... He said, the end of verse 16, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Like, Father, help me love people like you love me. Help me to love one another the way you want me to. Hey, we can even fake it for a little while, right? But it's hard to do it. And if the Holy Spirit isn't at work in our life, if He's not driving that love, we'll run out of steam. We'll run out of gas on our own. To love others like Jesus requires sacrifice. It requires obedience. It requires action. The fruit of the life that participates in the plan for a plan of Jesus to love one another Verse 17 says, this is, I command you that you love one another. So we end where we began. Love one another. Jesus gives the command again to love one another because loving one another, and I want you to catch this, loving one another is the greatest testimony to the unsaved world that Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. The greatest testimony that you and I have 
the greatest evangelistic tool that you and I possess is to love one another. Because by this, all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. We're called to lay down our lives for our friends. And that requires that we consider others to be more important than ourselves. It requires that we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. It requires that we love others as he did. And this church and your pastor and God want you to love one another. Your pastor needs you to love one another. Your community needs you to love one another. And God requires you to love one another. To have that genuine love. So here's the challenge. Pick up your cross. And follow Christ. And all that that involves... In dying to self so that you can love one another and consider them to be more important than yourself. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so good at seeing ourselves as more important than others. And Father, we're so good at finding loopholes that we think you'll accept by coming up with one or two or even five or ten people that we love the way we're supposed to. But Father, may we recognize that we're required to love one another even when we disagree. We're required to love even our enemies. And Father, may we remember why that's so. May we remember that that's our testimony to the lost and dying world. Father, may, may we remember that love is the earmark of the Christian. May we remember that to love one another is, is the example of Christ. Father, you love us. While we were still sinners, you died for us because of your love. Lord, we are not capable in ourselves to love one another to this degree. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your power. Help us, Lord, to desire to do it. To desire to love one another to desire to be examples of the believers in the way that we love. Father, let us be committed to you and therefore to your commandments. And Father, may all who are here tonight take up their cross. And all that that means and follow you follow you in this specifically in this area of loving one another we pray these things in jesus precious name amen